You're listening to the Visionary Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Rydell. Each week, I'll bring you conversations with the most visionary humans on this earth in hopes that you'll be able to absorb their wisdom, avoid their failures, and feel less alone on the roller coaster ride that is entrepreneurship. This season, I'll be chatting with creative thinkers, masterful marketers, brick and mortar shop owners, brand builders, and people just like you who have a story to share or a vision that inspires. If I can share one quick secret with you before we get into the episode, it's that we all have a little bit of visionary inside of us. You know, that spark that nudges us to pursue our full potential in this lifetime. But perhaps somewhere along the line, it got covered up. I'm here to tell you that it's never too late to explore that inner voice and access the brilliance deep down inside of you. It's in you. It's in all of us. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the show, visionaries. It's the start of a new week at the time I am recording this, and I must say I love the energy around a Monday. I keep my Mondays and my Fridays mostly free from meetings or Zoom calls so that I can do focused work and really get into creative mode. It's been helpful not to have calls booked in every single day of the week so that I can get into that workflow more often. So if you feel like you're in that trap of constantly looking at your calendar and being like, oh my God, I have another call here and then there and then here, try scheduling days where you're completely off Zoom. So that means no video on Mondays, no video on Fridays except for maybe when I'm bringing on a new client. So right now, um, yeah, I'm really just trying to make these specific tweaks to my schedule just so that I can really be more productive and accomplish more in less time. And I believe that not having to switch your brain back and forth all of the time can really help to do that. So there's your visionary entrepreneurial tip of the day. Um, On the other front, I guess, while continuing on giving you a work day, work, oh my goodness, can you tell it's Monday morning at the time of this recording? Continuing to give you guys a work update. Uh, right now, I'm pouring a lot of my energy into one of the really big clients that I do marketing support for. And when they came to me, they had no marketing plan, no content plan, no paid ads running, no traffic to their website, no formal lead generation generation strategy. They were already a successful company. A lot of that was based on word of mouth and running an annual event. But with the cancellation of events with COVID, with the ability to not be able to see people as much, we really needed to bring their strategy online. And It's cool because over the last six months or so, we've been implementing a lot of the ideas and our team has rallied together and their business just had the best month ever. So it's pretty cool. They're bringing in um, hundreds and hundreds of thousands in revenue. So pretty neat to see how strategic marketing can massively impact the growth of a business. Um, And speaking of that, if you also want to learn about how to build out your marketing strategy, build out your marketing playbook, you can just head to kelseyridle.com or go to visionarymarketingcourse.com. Okay, aside from work, I guess I'm just giving you a personal update before this episode. (laughs) Aside from work, we just spent the weekend in Toronto for a friend's wedding, 
And it was cool because we used to live there. um, And about a year ago, we ended up moving to a smaller town in Ontario. But it was fun to be back in the city, soaking up the vibrant energy. And it just felt great. So yeah, that's pretty much it. I feel renewed, refreshed, excited to tackle the work week. And I've got lots on the agenda this week, including today's podcast episode for you. So let me introduce our guest. Her name is Andrea Sampson, and she's the founder of Talk Boutique, an agency that helps you translate your knowledge into powerful ideas so that you can become a thought leader in your industry. And Andrea is clearly in the right profession because I could listen to her talk all day. So the reason why I want to bring Andrea Sampson on was because I know that all of you listening in today, you have tons of knowledge inside of that brain of yours. The knowledge that you've accumulated And then you pair that with your visionary ideas and life experience, and that is wisdom. And Andrea teaches you how to take that and share it with others. So in this conversation, we're also talking about why she left her 20-year career in advertising to open Talk Boutique. She talks about who they work with and the frameworks they use to change change makers into thought leaders. She talks about the art of telling a great story. I could definitely use some tips on that. (laughs) Uh, She talks about the five components of a memorable story, the three-step framework for defining your ideas, and so much more. So if you would like to learn more about Andrea and about Talk Boutique, you can find them at talkboutique.com. So let's get into the episode. I hope you love it, and I will catch you later. Andrea, welcome to the Visionary Life Podcast. I was really lucky to get an introduction to you through a mutual friend, Alexis. So shout out to her. And, you know, upon diving into your work and what you've created with the Talk Boutique, I knew that your story was one that we needed to share on the Visionary Life Podcast. So thank you for being here today. Thank you, Kelsey. I'm so excited to be here and to talk to your listeners. Awesome. So first, I'm hoping you can give us an overview of what Talk Boutique is and really why you started it. Yeah, sure. So so Talk Boutique, um, so the way that I like to describe it is we are a speaker development, speaker representation agency. What does that mean? Well, um, at the highest level, it means that we're speaker coaches. We work with people who have important ideas they need to get out there in, in the world. And we also represent speakers. But maybe a better way to say it is to say that we take experts and change makers and we transform them into thought leaders. And we do that by helping them to learn how to become corporate or event storytellers. So what we're really doing is we're helping these people who are creating massive change in the world. So think of our scientists, our academics, our technologists, people who are working on the biggest problems that we have in our world. But most of us really don't understand what it is they're doing or don't even know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And mostly it's because when they start talking, we all go to sleep, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand a word they're saying. And so when they learn how to become storytellers, we, as the recipients of their work, start to understand better. And why that's important is because we need to support them. We need to give them our attention, our funding, our space, our, you know, our know-how to make sure that the important work that they're doing continues. 
-hmm. And so how I got started in this world was a little bit eclectic. So my background is advertising. I spent almost 25 years working for some of the largest agency brands in the world, working on some of the largest corporate brands in the world. I was a planner, a strategist. And what that meant was I was the um, the underpinning of all of the campaigns. So think about, um, you know, the client problem, the creative solution. Well, there has to be an idea in there. And so the planner goes out and does a whole lot of research in the world to understand basic human needs. And by understanding that, we're able to come up with a way in which to impact people's behaviors and choices. So we would come up with the underpinning and that would be given off to the creative teams who would come up with the amazing creative that you see in many of the ads you see, you know, whether it be online or on TV or wherever you see them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had been doing that for a lot of years and had gotten to a point in my life where I knew I was done. You know, I'm an idealist. And I went into advertising believing that I could influence um, the creation of sort of positivity with this, you know, incredibly influential um, medium. And 25 years in, I realized, you know, I was only ever going to have limited impact there. Mm -hmm. And so I started looking around. I mean, I was turning 50 and I thought, you know, what do I do? I've got another, you know, 30, 40 years to contribute to this world. What can I do? And I came across this incredible volunteer opportunity um, working with the organizers at TEDx Toronto. And I love TED Talk. And um, so I put my hand up and I went, yeah, I want some of that. I want to be a volunteer. Um, And so I got volun hired as a speaker's coach. Now, at the time, I didn't even know what a speaker's coach was. (laughs) Didn't know it existed. And so I thought, you know, look, I do probably three to five presentations a day. Just, you know, by virtue of the work that I do, I'm sure if somebody gives me a little bit of training, I'll be good. Yeah. So that first year, I ended up working with um, one of the foremost body language experts in the world, um, Mark Bowden. I worked with um, a, a geneticist who was working on the Human Genome Project to decode the genome worldwide, Brendan Frey. I worked with um, an architect who was working on connecting the Internet of Things to our walls and our homes and our concrete and doing incredible things with the architecture. That was Rudolph Alcori. Yeah. And I was hooked. I was helping these individuals tell people about the impact that they were making on our world. So I came back the next year as a speaker's coach and then the next year as director of programming and then the next year as the chair of the event. And what I learned is that this was an incredible medium of working with these experts and change makers. Mm -hmm. And I started to think maybe there's something more here. Maybe this is the next iteration of my career. Because what I learned was that everything I had been doing in advertising, the research, the understanding of the core consumer insight was the exact thing that I needed to help speakers and presenters do to connect with their audience, which was to develop their core idea or what I now call their statement of purpose. Mm -hmm. And so I had been trained for 25 years, not knowing to be a speaker's coach. And so in 2015, in early 2016, I actually launched Talk Boutique with a, with a partner. 
And at the time, I wasn't really even sure that anyone would ever pay me to be a speaker's coach. In fact, I think I might have been convinced they wouldn't. And I was proven wrong. And, you know, the the reality is, is that the more that I work with scientists, academics, technologists, and artists, the more Mm -hmm. I realize their voice is needed in the world. Because the reality is, when they communicate on their purpose, what it does is it contributes to a kinder, more equitable and sustainable now and future. And that's Mm. why I do what I do. Mm. So beautifully said and well-crafted story. So thank you for (laughs) taking us through your entire journey. And, you know, I think one of the things that's important to kind of pause on or double tap on is that you didn't discount your career in advertising. You didn't say, oh, that was just such a waste of time. Like, I'm finally starting my business. I should have done it sooner. Uh, Which I think, you know, even people in my generation, they're beating themselves up that they haven't taken the leap into starting the business or doing the thing that they've been thinking of or that, you know, they just kind of got an idea that they wanted to take action on. But I think what we need to really reflect on is that there is so much that we are learning at every stage, at every job, whether you love it or not. And I guarantee you that for anyone who's in a job right now, who's maybe on the path to starting a business, there are so many skills that you're going to grab from this current career path and infuse into your next chapter. So never discount past experience. Like I even think back to times as a bartender or as a newspaper deliverer. And I'm like, I did learn very valuable lessons, very valuable skills that I infuse into my business today. So I think there's always these lessons and these learnings hiding in our our various paths. You know, I I couldn't agree more. You know, you you talked about being a bartender. I was a bartender, put myself through university. But, you know, here's here's the thing. I, I actually left high school. I didn't graduate high school. I left and went to a community college and became a secretary. Okay. legal secretary. So I did that until I was in my early 20s and then went back to university as a mature student. Mm. Now, you know, 35 years later, I look back, I, the skills that I learned as a, a secretary, first of all, mm-hmm. um, the skills I learned in terms of legal and the legal support that I did, being a bartender and the organization requirements, um, These were all, and I was also a fundraiser in the early part of my career. Every one of those individual jobs, and in fact, each of them in and of themselves were career choices that I made. Yeah. And and they have all contributed. I still use my secretarial skills, and thank God that I learned how to type. Absolutely. It helped me, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But also things like just knowing how to file. And I mean, it's like, these are silly things now when we look at them, but I use them every day, mm-hmm. you know, and being a fundraiser that actually gave me the underpinning of becoming a marketer. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, like I, we use different language in those days. We talked about donor basis, not databases. Yep. You know, we talked about, you know, retention, not loyalty. But when I moved into advertising, suddenly, once the language connected, I had so much um, uh, experience that many of my colleagues who were at the same level as me just simply didn't have. Absolutely. You know, I agree with you. All of that goes into contributing to a much deeper and and much more impactful um, career as you land on different things. And don't think, don't ever think you've landed 
on that career. No, nope. <laughs> you know, because yep. I can tell you, as you know, like I said, as I sit here now, um, you know, with I guess almost God, 35 years of experience, I have had many, and I expect that I will have more. Yes. Yep. It's like you're never at the end destination. And I think the cool thing is what you are doing right now is literally prepping you for that next step. And I always imagine like the most self-actualized people, they are literally living at this magical spot, which is like the crux of all of their life experience, all of their past career paths, every lesson they've learned. And somehow they've been able to kind of like mash it all up and massage it into one incredible offer that they're now delivering to the world. And they realize that like they are who they are for a reason. And now they've kind of packaged that up into sharing something for others, but that's going to continue to evolve as they continue to evolve. So it's really neat to hear your story and to see where you've landed today. So I'm curious, because you went from a career in advertising to all of a sudden volunteering for TEDx and then becoming a speaker's coach and launching Talk Boutique, did you ever face any kind of imposter syndrome or is that something that you were just able to kind of knock down? Because we oh. hear this term all the time, like, I just feel like an imposter. I don't have all the expertise that, you know coach number 54 has, and we are in this comparison. So I'm curious, did you ever experience any imposter or have you just been confident your whole life to kind of bust through those limiting <laughs> beliefs? You know what? I, I have always had imposter syndrome. Um, you know, especially as somebody who, like I said, I, I didn't go a traditional route. I don't have, you know, the degrees and the masters and the PhDs. I mean, I, I work with people who have PhDs now and I teach them. Yeah. And yet I don't, I didn't come from that world. And so imposter syndrome was something I have struggled with. And to be honest, having worked with some of the smartest people in the world, there's very few people who I have ever met who don't struggle with it yep. on some level. And it's, it, you know, largely it's because we are, it's about us coming forward as a vulnerable human, mm, right? And putting that. ourselves out there um, and, and trusting that others will get what it is we're trying to say. And this is this is what, you know, it's, I, I've, I've spent the last year, you know, in COVID doing a lot of reflecting and thinking on what it is I do. And this concept of thought leadership is something that is really important. And I think when we look at that concept, what thought leaders do, and I think what is different that thought leaders do than the imposters, because, you know, I've kind of created this little, um, it's a attention, um, uh, matrix that says, you know, mm. where are you? Where is your communication style? Because when we're talking about imposter syndrome, so first of all, let's just kind of take a step back. Imposter syndrome comes from our ability to communicate what it is we want to say in a way that others can understand, access, and communicate back to us. Mm -hmm. So what happens when we don't believe we can communicate well? Right. And so we start to think, oh, you know, they're never going to believe me. Maybe I don't really know what I think I know, because that's what's going on in our head. And so what comes out of our mouth is almost the apology for what we're saying. So we're, yeah. we're not a good communicator. Right. But what a good communicator does, and this is what I would call a thought leader, is that they use their technical skill. So if you think of like on one axis, the technical knowledge and the technical knowledge could be in everything from podcasting to, you know, artificial intelligence. It doesn't really yeah. matter whatever it is your chosen field is. Mm -hmm. So that technical knowledge. And then it's your level of influence, the other access, how the other access. 
the the way in which you um, you influence people, how you're able to influence their thinking. So when you when you don't believe that you can influence people, and when you believe that your level of knowledge is not quite as great as it is, as as what it maybe it actually is, that's that's where you're living down in that lower quadrant, which is the imposter. Mm-hmm. If you're in the upper quadrant on you know the high influence but low confidence in your ability as technical knowledge. Because let's be clear here. This is communication, not what you actually know. Yep. So the, if you're up there, you're in that change maker. You're all about heart, right? You're coming at it from like, I just want to change the world. Yep. And I want everyone to listen to me. And we talk and we talk and we talk. But the problem is we can't get people to connect in. They hear our passion and they hear our, our knowledge, but they're not grasping the importance of what it is we're saying because we're not able to communicate our technical knowledge well. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you're the other way which is, we hear this a lot, where your technical knowledge comes out, you know, you're talking to that person who is like a clear expert, and they are giving you the data and the facts. And here's the research study. And you know, they're going on and on. And you're like, I have a clue what they're talking about. Or I do, but I I don't know where it all fits in. I don't know what to make of this, right? And that's your expert. Now, when you live in perfect harmony between the influence and the technical expertise, that's where you come into that thought leadership. And all that is, is simply becoming a professional communicator. That's what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. You're stepping into the role, your mindset shifts, because it's not that you needed to go out and learn anything more. You had all the technical skills. Exactly. It's not that you needed to go and find a whole new audience. The people you're talking to are the ones you need to talk to. Yep. It's the way in which you're saying things. So from an imposter, so I had to learn that. Like yeah, that was a yeah. big thing for me to learn to sit here in front of you right now and even say this for me, it's huge mm-hmm. because I would say two years ago, I was still struggling with what is it that I do? I'm really great with people. Mm-hmm. I can, I can work with somebody and they can come away feeling that they have their talk or their presentation or their core idea really clearly said, mm-hmm. but I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And so that imposter syndrome lives inside of that. Well, what if, what if I can't do it the next time? You know, what if this was a fluke? What if, what if, what if? And as I started to understand this concept more deeply, mm-hmm. I was able to step into my own thought leadership. And here's one of the biggest differences, I think, between a thought leader and all of those others is when you are in change maker, expert, or imposter, you think you need to have the answer. Mm-hmm. When you are in thought leader, you can ask the question. Mm. And it's the question that actually creates more impact than any answer ever will. A quick word from our premier sponsor of the Visionary Life podcast, and that is Healthy Planet. If you are a health nut like me, you're going to love that you can save money on the brands you already purchase by ordering online from Healthy Planet. They love our visionary community and want to support all of us in living our best lives. So you can shop at Healthy Planet entirely online and products will be dropped at your doorstep within just a few days. It's so easy, so convenient, and that gives you no excuse to say it's really hard to eat healthy because it's not. So treat your body, your mind, and your business with 
with the fuel it deserves from Healthy Planet. You can shop by department, dietary need, or even just check out the sale rack. It's such an efficient way to ensure you're stocked up on all your favorite health goods all of the time. Use code VISIONARY10 at checkout to save on your Healthy Planet order. That's VISIONARY10 at checkout. That's so juicy because uh, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast, they are service providers. So say they're a nutritionist, for example. They've spent a whole year studying a certain nutrition framework and then they start a business because they need to make some money off of it. And they're spending all their time basically regurgitating that framework and feeling like an imposter because it's not necessarily their own thought leadership around nutrition. And then they get really flustered because they realize that there are people who do know more than them. So oftentimes they're the ones going back to school, thinking they need a master's, thinking they need another course. When I think in reality, what you're saying is they need to look at the framework that they learned and actually put or layer on top their own thought leadership and realize they're never going to be the expert, but they can still have a method or still package up what it is that they're uniquely gifted at in order to serve another human being, knowing that questions are the answer, like they're not meant to be the expert. So my question actually out of that would be, how does somebody go from being a regurgitator of knowledge, maybe being a really good doctor or a really good scientist or really good nutritionist to becoming a thought leader? Yeah. So, so I would, so, you know, I think there's a, something that's really important. So people are experts and people are change makers, right? Like even the ones that regurgitate, like, especially, so let's take the example you just gave that person who spent a year in a, in a, a you know, in a, in a nutrition course yes. and they, they ate it. They did yeah. amazing. They know a right? lot. They learned the frameworks. They learned all of the knowledge. They've got it. Right. Mm-hmm. And they can regurgitate that like on cue. Yep. They're an expert. The problem with that is that unless you, unless me as the receiver of that information are also an expert, I don't know why any of that is important. Yep. So it's the use of the knowledge, right? So it's, it's taking knowledge and turning it into wisdom. That is sort of the place where we're going. So that person learned a lot of knowledge and as they become more experienced at using that knowledge, suddenly the matrix, the framework, the, you know, the approach, they start using it in a way that nobody else does because and this is where it's why every person has the ability to be a thought leader. We each look at things through our own vast array of experience. So, you know, me as a, you know, a secretary, a fundraiser, bartender, you know, advertising executive and now speakers coach, I look at the world through my set of lenses, right? And so the way that I see that same information, it will be way different than you would see it because you've got a different set of lenses, mm-hmm. right? So I'm going to use it in a different way. I've been trained differently. I've had a different life. And so my way of doing it, my thought leadership is different from yours. You know, I always love using Malcolm Gladwell as a good example of this. You know, I mean, I love his books. I follow yeah. Malcolm Gladwell. I read his stuff. And, you know, I know he has a lot of critics. People say, you know, he just regurgitates everybody else's research. And in fact, he does. 
But what he does is he takes all this other research and he gives us a new view of it. He gives us, he's got a unique brain that says, here's the way in which I'm perceiving this. And I'd like you to see it through my lens. He's a thought leader because he's giving us this knowledge, this information, and he's turned it into wisdom that we wouldn't have otherwise or likely wouldn't have otherwise gotten to. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when we can, and so it's easy to look at someone like a Malcolm Gladwell, who's yeah. wildly successful, great author in demand. And we can go, well, that's for him, but not for me. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this is where it's give yourself two things. One, give yourself credit. You know, way more than you think you do. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And number two, invest, continue to invest in yourself because the more that you can bring to the table, the more that you will create a unique way of looking at things. So when I say invest in yourself, what I mean is invest in the things that you need to get you over that hump, to see yourself different. Sometimes it's personal growth things like you know, um, it could be mental health. It could be, these are the ways that we get out of our head and into our body, right? So what are the things that you're investing in that are helping you to see yourself differently? Mm-hmm. You know, I, um, over the course of this pandemic, I mean, actually for the past 20 years, I've been a, a student of meditation mm-hmm. and, but never consistent. You know, it was like, oh, I would do it for, you know, maybe a couple of days a week. And, you know, I'd come to it when I had time. But over the course of the pandemic, for the last six months, I have meditated every day. Wow. And I cannot tell you the difference it makes in objectivity. So when you think of yourself as a, you know, an imposter, go and meditate. Take 10 minutes. Yeah. Close your eyes. That's it. That's all you need to do. Mm-hmm. And when you go inside, it's amazing at what comes out. Hmm. I love that. That's super beautiful. Now, it, a few things that I want to circle back on because you dropped a lot of wisdom <laughs> in those few <laughs> minutes there. First of all, I totally agree with you that oftentimes your business growth is directly correlated with your personal growth. Oftentimes when I'm facing a, what I call a business challenge, like I can't figure out how to expand my reach or to make my next launch a little bit bigger or to reach the people that I want to reach. It's oftentimes some personal growth that I need to take in order to crack through that business plateau. So that's something that I'm so fascinated with that, um, you know, we need to continue to grow as people so that our businesses and our visions can come to life, right? So I think that's some topic that um, I'm just keen to learn more on, and I'm glad you brought it up. Um, The other thing that I want to share, too, is you kind of mentioned with Malcolm Gladwell, like people said, isn't he just regurgitating? But I want to ask you, like, hasn't every idea already been spoken before? And really, our job as individuals is to bring our own unique lens to it. And for some people... They may not have any original ideas, but what they do really well is they're like a broker of knowledge and they, they're the ones who are constantly listening to podcasts, reading books, going to conferences. And what they do is like smash it all up in a talk. Maybe it's a Ted talk that gives the highlight reel of everything they've learned. And that's no less valuable than somebody who has a unique or brand new idea. Do you agree with that? Or what do you, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, I, I, I absolutely agree. And you know, here's, here's the thing. So we live in a world 
where innovation is incredibly valued, right? Yes. Yeah. Now, when you look at what is innovation, innovation says that there is an existing way of doing things and I'm going to innovate on it. I'm going to give you a new way to look at that. Mm -hmm. Innovation by definition is actually not a new idea. Oh, by definition, right? Because innovation says the idea already exists. I'm just going to innovate on it. Right. So we, we love this idea of innovation and we think we have to be a hundred percent unique. That's not true. Mm -hmm. We can't be. Now, look, are there new ideas? Of course there are, um, you know, new ideas come along, but I'm reading, actually, I'm reading right now a great book called the innovators by, uh, uh, Walter Isaacson, who is a, he's a biographer. He wrote the Steve Jobs biography. He wrote Einstein's biography. And this is a series of short stories of the, um, of the creation of the computer going mm-hmm. all the way back to the mid um, 1800s um, with the originator of the idea of the computer who was Ada Lovelace, a woman who was a mathematician. Ah. And very interesting. And what was interesting is that as I'm reading this, so each chapter goes into another aspect of computer development. And what you start to see is how the computer really is an amalgamation of ideas. And in fact, in the early, in the 40s and 50s, where it, where, where computers really went through, that was the, the, the development of the transistor and eventually the silicon chip. And what was going on at that time is that there were a number of competing labs that were all sort of doing very similar work. And they were all racing towards the same idea, although none of them were talking to each other. And in those days, what was interesting is that, of course, the scientists in their labs, what they were doing was working in notebooks. So every time they would um, do an experiment, they would write down all of the details of the experiment in a notebook. Well, that notebook would literally be kept under lock and key and would be logged in and out because when they would go to to file the patent, they had to show that they got there before their predecessor, before somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. So this was literally written materials. And there were many, many patent challenges where they literally had to go to these written notebooks and look at dates Mm. because when I have an idea, it's an idea that is out there because you know, it's like, again, if you, I don't know if you've read any of Liz Gilbert's stuff, certainly yeah. in, in Big Magic. I mean, she I talks about book. it being the, you know, outside of us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that ideas are outside of us and we hook into it, right? We hook into the genius. Yeah. And so that's kind of what, I mean, I, and I kind of believe that it's like when I have an idea, it's because the idea is floating by and there might be floating by 10 of us or 20 yeah. of us or 200 of us. Yes. And yeah. which one of us chooses to grab onto it and exactly. run with it. And yeah. which one of us is actually going to take it to its next level. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there is, you know, that, that there are any unique ideas. I think there are new ideas, but I'm not sure there are unique ideas. I think the ideas present themselves and we make them unique. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So for somebody listening, who's like, okay, so I do have ideas and I do have a lot of training or certifications, but they're curious, like how could they possibly turn that into thought leadership? I'm assuming that's where talk boutique comes in, right? It's like taking, yeah. 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 I mean, so what I do is when I'm working with somebody, 
And I, I work with people who are um, anything from, it, they could be um, being on a stage, you know, yeah. in front of a large audience. They could be a TED speaker. Yeah. I mean, I eventually became trained by the head speakers coach at TED Global. Cool. Um, so I do a lot of work with TED speakers. Um, it could, But they could also be writing a book. And yeah. I actually do work with a lot of authors. Sometimes yes. they're just writing an email. But what I'm doing yeah. Um, and and what is really important is defining that idea. Okay. And what I've learned over the years is that the definition of an idea really comes in three parts. Um, and, you know, this is, it's going to sound familiar, but we do it a little bit differently. The three mm -hmm. parts are a what, a how, and a why. The what is your topic. It's the thing that you want to communicate. It's, it might be your area of expertise. So let's say that you are all about artificial intelligence. That might be your topic. There's nothing new or different about that. It doesn't have to be. It just needs to be a topic. A topic, yep. How is your point. It's your difference. It's what you're doing. It's the thing you're probably really proud of. So you might be working in artificial intelligence and maybe your unique spin on it is to use artificial intelligence to create better opportunities for humans to connect in the real world. That mm -hmm. might be, so that's your idea and that's your how. Now mm -hmm. your what and your how when put together create the basis of the idea. Mm -hmm. And that's all about you as the creator of that idea. Yeah. The why, which is, I would argue, the most important part of that mm -hmm. is the passion. This is where you and your audience connect. This is where you now create a shared purpose because that your why is your impact. So if you are talking about artificial intelligence to create real world communities and connections so that humans and computers can work together, creating a more equitable and sustainable future. Mm. Now we got something, right? Mm. You can see how when you put the what, the how, and the why together, suddenly that idea becomes unique to you, grounded in your expertise, and accessible to the audience in such a way that they want to hear more. Mm -hmm. That core idea is essential. And so what happens and what happens so much when I'm working with, with anyone is that they'll come in going, I've got a great idea. And they'll give me three words. I'm like, what's your idea? You know, when I, when I used to work on TED, I mean, I, so I worked on TEDx Toronto, except for almost five years. Mm -hmm. And now I have my own TED event called TEDx Corktown. Oh, cool. And we, we focus on, um, on uh, sustainability. It's all about climate change. But, you know, when and, and at TEDx Toronto, when we would put out a call for entries, we would get over a thousand people putting in a nomination to be on the stage. We only would have 10 to 13 spots on stage. We did narrow that down really quickly. And, and we would ask people, I think there was like maybe five questions that you had to answer. One of them, what was your idea? Right. Mm -hmm. We wanted people to tell us what their idea was. I would say 95 percent of those thousand people never gave an idea or gave an idea that had no uniqueness. They thought it was an idea. Huh. They would write and write and write, but you'd read it and go, I, I don't know what that idea is. No. And so that's why using this framework of a what, how, why, and what we do when I'm, you know, when I'm working with a speaker on the what, how, why, I use a little uh, a construct to help them hear it, which is today I'm going to talk to you about what, and I'll show you how, because why. And what that does is it allows you to hear your own idea mm -hmm. in a way that is different from the, what's in your head. 
Mm-hmm. And so when you hear it and what often happens, I'll say it back to them. They'll like, no, 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 that's not what I want to talk about. Great. Okay. Which one, you know, let's go back to it. Is it the what? Is it the how? Or is it the why? And then we start, you know, piecing it out until we get exactly. Because the point of this is that no matter what you're doing, whether it's a book you're writing, an email you're writing, or a talk you're giving, mm-hmm. that that core idea is the underpinning. It's the foundation. It's, think of it as the foundation of your house. If that is crooked, by the time you get to the roof, mm-hmm. nothing's going to hold together. Mm-hmm. So if somebody listening has an ambition to maybe get on a TEDx stage, because I feel like a lot of people do, they know that that would be like such a milestone moment in your career. Would you say that like starting with a simple exercise, like the what, how, why really is a foundation upon which you could build an entire 30 minute talk off of that. Right. But you need that foundational structure first. Otherwise, like it might just be a bunch of jargon and you get to the end of the talk and people are like, what were they talking about or what was that? What's the takeaway? What am I supposed to walk away and tell my friend about tomorrow? That's exactly it. And so, yeah, I mean, that's how we, you know, when, when I, when I work with any speaker, that's the first question I ask them, what's the one thing, the one thing, if they remember nothing else about your talk, I love that. The one thing you want them to remember. And of course, what happens is people like one thing, Oh God, I've got so much I want to say. Yes, you do. And if your audience can only take one thing and you keep forcing it to that one thing. And, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, when we get to it, it's such a moment, you know, some speakers are really great. They can get there pretty quickly. Others, it, you know, they've got a complex message and we've got to hone it down and hone it down. Mm-hmm. And it's not that we're cutting things out. And I want to make that clear. It's not that we're cutting things out. It's that we're organizing them in such a way that the audience understands the order of importance yeah. And so they, as the speaker, understand the order of importance. And so that when they're in the middle of their talk and they have that moment, because we all have it, yep. where we go, what was I saying? <laughs> you can come back to it. Come back to the core <laughs> idea, right? Yeah. Because yeah. everything else flows from that. And uh, so you can go, oh, right. I was, and I was in the middle and I was this, and it takes you back. But you yep. have to have that core idea. You have to know what it is before you get on that stage or in front of that audience or start writing that book or that paper or whatever it is you're writing. Have you been feeling a bit lost, confused on your next steps, curious about what it would be like to start an online business and work for yourself? Well, the Visionary Method is a seven-step framework and accountability system that will help you to start making money and stop procrastinating the life you're here to live. We've helped hundreds of people just like you to make their first 50000 in their online business by packaging up the skill sets that they already have inside of them. So visit KelseyRidal.com and click on the work with me tab. If you want to learn more, we would love to get on a call with you and see if the visionary method is the right fit for you. Again, KelseyRidal.com. Just click the work with me tab and learn more about the visionary method. Yeah, it reminds me, I was recently reading a Terry O'Reilly book and one of the sentences that I scribbled through a million times, it said, he was talking about pitching, pitching your idea. And it said, pitching is an exercise in clarity. 
And I thought, oh my God, that's true. But it's also applicable to anything that I do as a business owner. Everything is an exercise in clarity. A TED talk is an exercise in clarity because at the end of the day, you don't want people to feel more confused after they hear your pitch or read through your blog or like you want them to be very clear on what action they need to take or what that, you know, um, memorable concept is that they should go share with their friends or, um, you know, know, and so it's not always about more, it's about less and communicating that with clarity. Right. Well, I, you know, I often say like, I didn't know this stuff when I was in advertising, right. I came Mm. to it as I was leaving advertising. And once I developed out some of the frameworks that we use now, like I think to myself, gosh, I wish I had had this. Like I think of the pitches that we used to do. I was in so many new business pitches. And look, you know, in advertising, pitching business is a stressful, usually, you know, a couple of days, maybe a week, maybe two weeks if you're lucky, right? And the the biggest challenge often is everybody becoming aligned on an idea. And whose job is it to, to create that idea? You know, mm-hmm. is it the strategy team who come up with a key consumer insight? Is it the creative team who take that insight and turn it into some form of, a, you know, of a, a relatable or understandable, um, you know, tagline? Whose job is it? And, you know, now as I look back, I realize it's actually it's no one person's job. Like what should have happened in those days would have been for the the pitch team to come together and to agree on sort of that what, how, why. And so now, you know, your strategy team has a core idea that they're going out to prove, right? And so, and then, and the creative team already know the underpinning of the idea. They're looking for their, you know, because if you think of it, you know, creative often supplies the why, right? It gives us that, you know, that way to impact that's emotional. That's what creative should be doing. Mm-hmm. But if we know the what and the how, the why is actually pretty easy because you can see how it could create impact. And that's where the emotional impact of advertising comes in. So when Terry, um, you know, who I love, Terry O'Reilly, his stuff Me is amazing. <laughs> um, you know, when he talks about clarity, that's what I think he's talking about. It's like, get, get very, very clear on the one thing you want the client, and then everything else is built outside of that. So you're totally. constantly coming back to it. So mm-hmm. if I'm sitting in the client's chair judging this pitch, I can keep it, I can, I can make the decision based on that core idea. I either agree with it or don't agree with it. If I don't agree with it and they can make me agree with it, wow, that's yeah. powerful. If yeah. I do agree with it and they can connect me in more, great. Or if I already agree with it and by the end of it, I'm no longer agreeing with it. Okay. Now that's, you know, maybe I maybe they're not convincing everyone. So, you know, so it it, mm-hmm. it is that clarity, right? Yeah. But you have to have the idea really, really defined. Mm-hmm. So aside from a very well-defined idea and clarity on like what it is that you are talking about, I'm curious, what are some other qualities of remarkable talks or remarkable um, thought leadership? You know, I don't know so what you I call I think them. there's a couple of things. So um, clarity, obviously clarity of thought. Yes, for clarity sure. Clarity of thought, yes. But also being able to be a storyteller. Yes, which I feel like, I feel innately bad at that. I don't know if that's just a limiting belief, but how do we become better storytellers? Storytelling is a learned art. Okay. And, you know, most people say, oh, you know, I don't know how to tell a story. And I remember working, we were working with um, 
uh, we work with a lot of scientists and we were working with um, a large group of ophthalmologists many years ago. And we were helping them to do surgical procedure talks as TED Talks, 10 minute TED Talks. And so we were helping them to become storytellers. And so in our, before our very first workshop, we were doing a storytelling workshop and they were quite nervous about coming to a storytelling workshop. And, you know, about two days before I get this frantic call from the lead ophthalmologist who was organizing it. You know, I'm having lots of people call me because they don't know what a story is. What's a story? Yeah. Right? Because we're trained out of storytelling, not into storytelling. Yeah. Humans innately tell stories and our brains are hardwired for story. So we connect to story, but the easiest, like, so what, one of the things that we did early on, uh, when I, when I started talk boutique and actually it was, well, it wasn't quite with the ophthalmologist, but it came shortly thereafter is we developed a really simple storytelling structure and what it is, it's a five-part structure because all stories have five things. Mm-hmm. They all have an environment. The environment is the um, the sense of place. Where is the story taking place? What's happening? You want to bring your listener right into the story. What you really want is for them to be hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting ah, what you were in that, that. moment. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing, the reason we're doing that, we're engaging the brain and we're engaging all the sensory aspects of the brain and i'll come back to why that's important so sense of environment so what's the environment where are you what are you hearing what are you seeing what are you smelling you want to get that going well all story have characters mm-hmm. who are the people or the inanimate objects that are going to take on a character role characters have names you know, one of my coaches who works for us at Talk Boutique, I love, he always says, you know, it's not a tree, it's an oak, right? Oh, I love that. Specificity in characters is important. So yep. if we're talking about, you know, a girl and a boy, they have a name. The girl, it's a 12-year-old girl. Her name is Jane. She has long blonde hair. She's really pretty. And the boy is her younger brother. His name is James. And Jane, Jane and James, their family loves Jane. And now yeah. we have a little bit of a backstory on them. We can see them, right? Suddenly they're not just two cutouts of humans. Yep. We have a little bit about them. So the environment, characters. Next is the issue or the opportunity. So this is the reason you're telling the story, right? Here's the thing that was happening. Now, most people start with that. And I'm suggesting you don't start with that because it's the least interesting thing. You got to bring us into it, right? So the the thing that you're talking about, so it could be that Jane and James got lost in the woods, mm-hmm. okay? So, oh, okay, now we, because you may have said, you know, we're, we're, we're walking through a beautiful wood. It's one of those crisp autumn days. Mm-hmm. You can hear the leaves crunching under your feet and you can smell the sharp smell of pine in the air. And the birds are chirping. Jane and James are walking. They find that they have lost their way. Mm-hmm. So now we're at the issue or the opportunity. Now, what any good storyteller will do, as after they've given us the issue or the opportunity, and they've maybe expanded upon it, given us lots more details on that, is there's then there's that what we like to call the and then moment. It's what is the raising of the stakes. It's a tension point. So we yeah. have an initial issue or opportunity, and then we raise it. Mm. What's the and then thing that happened? Now, you can have more than one and then thing. Mm. 
because that's, you know, the great thing about stories, especially if you're making it up, you can have a couple of those. And in our lives, the stories of our lives have many of those tension points, right? Yeah. So you want to keep that tension point because that's the point at which you unbalance your audience and they lean in. Mm. And then finally, it has a conclusion. So environment, characters, issue or opportunity, the raising of the stakes, the tension point, and then an outcome. Mm -hmm. That's a five-point story structure. Now, when you ask the question of what makes a really engaging talk or mm -hmm. how can we really bring people in, it's when a talk is a story. Okay. So think about all of those um, presentations that you've been to. So you can, I'm sure in your mind, you can think about probably a thousand boardroom presentations or, um, you know, some form of a presentation that you've been in where five minutes in, you completely disengaged, you mm -hmm. were doodling on your notepad in front of you, or maybe, you know, secretly looking at social media or whatever it was that yeah. you were doing. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, you kind of caught about 20% of it. You figured that was enough. You'll read the deck later, mm -hmm. right? Now think of the few, maybe 5% of every present of all presentations and or talks you've ever been to, where right out of the gates, somebody starts telling you a story and you're like, where the hell is he going with this? Yeah. You know? And and you're like, wow, she's really engaging. And you're you're like, I don't know where she's going with this. I better pay attention because yeah. I think there's something important here, you know, and then they get to that moment of where things change and all the way through, suddenly they're dropping in data and they're dropping in details and they're citing things. And you're like, wow, but this is a really interesting story. I, I want to know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Right. So you paid attention to the whole thing. And by the end of it, when they wrapped it all together, you're amazed, right? Like, I mean, we've listened to those Ted talks. Yeah. And what happens is that what has happened is that person has taken the story and they've taken their core idea, yep. that statement of purpose, and they've embedded the core idea inside of that story. And they built the story around the idea. Mm. You don't know that, nor would you ever know that. But that's how they got there. And so what they did is they used that story as a carrier for their idea. And you as the listener now we'll remember the story because we all remember stories because again, I'm going to come back to the brain science here. Um, our brain is hardwired for it. You will go on and tell that story. And when you tell that story, what you're actually doing is sharing that idea. Mm. And that is how story, that's how, that's how ideas gain life, gain, you know, that, that spreading opportunity. Now our brains our brains are hardwired for story because we're sensory in nature. When yeah. we speak data and facts, you're really only speaking to the to the um, language processing parts of the brain. It's mm -hmm. One, maybe two parts of the brain. The more parts of the brain that are active, the more places the brain keeps memory. So when you impact all of the sensory cortices of the brain, what you're doing, you're the, literally, and they've done these, they've done lots of... Um, um, uh, uh, MRI, not MRI, um, we have fMRI, where yeah. they can see the brain activity. And literally, when a person is listening to a story, the brain lights up, completely cool. lights up, right? Yep. Because mm -hmm. all the sensory aspects, the brain is like, this is cool. And so it's got all these places to hold it. What's also happening is it releases dopamine. 
Okay. And the dopamine is one of the pleasure um, neurochemicals. So you feel good. What's also happening is the part of the reason why your brain is lighting up that way, because it's remembering, right? So when I'm telling you a story, even the little story I started off with walking in the woods, you probably were remembering a time when you were walking in the woods. Mm -hmm. So what's happening is my brain and your brain are mirroring. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's happening is because I'm telling you facts and sensory, I'm actually crossing the two hemispheres of the brain. And so you're getting, you're getting what's called, um, I can't think of the name of it, but anyways, it's, it's going cross hemispheric. And so all of this creates this real engagement Mm. and stories. So stories happen, as I, as I mentioned, as, as a, um, as a, um, uh, you know, a little five-part structure, but sometimes stories can just be in using emotional language. And I'll give you an example. So if I, if I talk about the person who, you know, I met this guy and, um, you know, clearly he was a hard worker mm-hmm. and, uh, I didn't know much about him, but I could tell, cause you know, his hands were rough. Yep. Right. So you kind of get a sense of who that person is. Now, if I say I met this guy, he had rough leathery hands. You notice how that felt different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Because now I didn't have to say he was a hard worker. Yeah. We shook hands and his hands were leathery mm-hmm. right away. What are you, you're making up a story about him. I make up a story about him. Every time I say that, I'm imagining a, you know, a hardworking cowboy who's yeah. working, you know, like that's where my mind goes. So we can create a story with a word. Yeah. And the word has emotional overtones. Hmm. So, so good. I absolutely love this. And, you know, I think it it kind of is giving us that confidence that we can all be storytellers because it is broken down into a framework and all of those incredible stories that we've watched, whether on YouTube or we've seen people speak, like there is a methodology to it. And I remember, um, you know, a few years ago I was traveling around Toronto, just doing some talks on experiential marketing. So how to create experiences for your customers in order to, um, you know, like get them to be lifetime customers to you. And I used to just like rhyme off facts about experiential marketing. It increases the emotional connection and it accelerates the consumer purchasing journey. And somebody once came up to me and said, Kels, like, we're not learning anything. You're just spitting out facts and bullet points. And they said, what was your first experience with experiential marketing? And I said, well, you know, when I was 12, I was at Sports World in Kitchener and I was running out with my friends at the end of the day. And this really cool group of teenagers standing in this big Pepsi branded tent were like, come on in guys. And there's music and, and I'm like getting all excited. And they were like, that's the story you need to be telling in your presentation. And I was like, whoa. And the moment I changed my entire presentation, 45 minutes, mostly focused on that Pepsi taste challenge experience as a kid and how it converted me from Coke to Pepsi, people were like, they were dialed into that story. And I was like, oh my gosh. And, you know, since then, I feel like I've fallen back into just spitting (laughs) bullet points because like I told you, I don't know that I feel like I'm the natural storyteller, but you're reminding me that, you know, this is how humans learn and how we connect. And it is what draws us into another human being when we don't even know them because storytelling, you know, we can find common ground as you paint this picture of, of whatever story you're telling. So I love this. You know, like I, you know, we started off with me telling you my story. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't find that strange, right? Like you didn't go, oh gosh, that was boring. We didn't need to know that. Right. Because we love stories yeah. and because it gave, and you can see now all of what I told you before has given us context for everything that came after. So mm -hmm. we've gone back to my career in advertising. We've gone back even further mm -hmm. in my career because, you know, in this conversation that we're having, I mean, we're, we're talking about me and my experiences. So it's very relevant for me to talk about all of that. But I can go in and pull little threads down that I started with. You know, I talked about spending 25 years, but I didn't have the impact that I wanted to have. I've gone back and said, you know, when I was pitching business, if I had known this then, yep. right? So I'm pulling it through. So our conversation becomes a continuation of the story mm. and not a series of questions. Because what's really, really impactful and what we're doing is we're building a story together. Mm. Oh, so cool. So I'm assuming there are a lot of people listening saying like, well, I need some help doing this. <laughs> so I'm curious if somebody listening is really connecting with your message right now and they're at a place where they do want to find their big idea, they do want to establish their thought leadership. How can they work with Talk Boutique? And, and you know, what does that process look like? Yeah. So, so we work with individuals and teams. Um, mm -hmm. You can, um, you know, send an email to me, Andrea at talkboutique.com. Um, yeah. And, um, and, you know, we can assess what it is you need. So if it's individual coaching, there's myself and I have a team of coaches who have, awesome. I've trained all of them. Um, and we help you um, if you want to, you know, like if you, if you get a TED talk coming up, you should give us a call because we can, yes. oh. um, you know, that's the, we do work with a lot of people who, who are in the TED, who are sort of moving in the TEDx world. Um, but also if you've got corporate presentations or a stage presentation or a virtual presentation, look, yep. we do a ton of work with virtual speakers and virtual presenters. Um, but we also work with corporate teams. We have team programs where we have a really fun program where we create an internal TED Talk. So we actually um, create it internally. So we do everything the same way we do with an entire stage of TED speakers. And today we're doing it now virtually where we set up the virtual showcase at the end. And we'll usually have 10 or 15 people going through the program mm -hmm. and they're presenting their thought leadership. And so it's really helpful to corporate teams because so many times, you know, people who are at that sort of middle management or sort of moving into senior management, they, they need to be able to tell, they need to be able to, to tell their, their stories in a way that, that impacts people, persuades people. And so we teach them that fine art between storytelling, presenting and doing art. And mm -hmm. so that's what the, these um, these programs are. They're aimed at um, creating these presentations that feel like a TED Talk, but that deal in the corporate world and create the outcomes that corporates need. So there's that. So individual teams. And then we also have, um, we have a digital program that's called the Thought Leader Academy and that we take students in a couple of times a year. We'll have another mm -hmm. intake coming up soon. And so there's digital on-demand, um, uh, you know, there's about 18 or 20 master classes that I've, cool. um, that I, uh, that I've recorded and then it's group coaching. And so you get to be with a small group, usually it's under 10 people um, working through with our coaches on developing your talk. 
and uh, it's a lot of fun. So um, three different ways you can, uh, you can work with us. Yeah. I feel like that would be especially um, a way I would love to get involved with you guys. And a lot of my students and clients could probably benefit from that as well. So I will link all of that in the show notes. And, you know, this has been so enlightening. I loved chatting with you and hearing how we can all become thought leaders, even if we don't identify as such right now. But, you know, I'm going to add to my vision board to do a TED talk one day. And, (laughs) you know, I feel like I've got some prompts that I can immediately start working on. So thank you for the action items as well. And I would encourage people to connect with you if they want to learn more or to see how they can collaborate and love the idea of companies doing this too, because um, one of my first corporate jobs, we'll say they had the best onboarding and it was all about story. And I retold that story as an employee like a thousand times. Cause I was on the front lines of the business talking to customers. So I'd always say, do you want to hear how this product came to be? <laughs> and because the story was so well-crafted, yeah. I was out there spreading it. So, you know, I think it's a, yeah, it's a way to uh, have an idea be shared over and over is when you have a clear story and idea. Totally. Totally. Well, Kelsey, this has been fabulous. I have enjoyed every moment. I love having conversations where we get to really delve deeply into these sort of, you know, ideas that I think people feel that they're not qualified for. And when you can kind of debunk that and say, you're qualified, you're more qualified than anyone to be you. Yeah. And so when you're qualified to be you, get out there and tell the rest of us what's unique about it. Hmm. So good. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for sharing and I wish you all the best and we will definitely be connecting with Talk Boutique. So I would encourage everyone to click the links in the show notes. So thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Visionary Life. I love bringing you these conversations on a weekly basis. So it would mean so much to me if you could help me out by rating and reviewing the show in your iTunes app. You can also support the show by taking a quick screenshot of the episode and sharing it on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Kelsey Rydell. I'll catch you in the next episode. P.S. Whenever you're ready, there's a couple of ways that I can support you. So first thing, if you're ready to make your first or next $50,000 in business, explore how the Visionary Method Business Coaching Experience can accelerate your growth. There'll be a link in the show notes. Also, if you're feeling lost, confused, or overwhelmed when it comes to starting an online business, reach out and book a free revision call with me. I'll offer you customized recommendations on how to get unstuck so you can live a life filled with joy, happiness, and fulfillment.